Shohei Otani hits, pitches, and trades crypto. He does it all on the platform that trades it all. FTX, the official crypto exchange of MLB. But you don't have to be a pro to trade like one. Just download the FTX app and you could be trading crypto, NFTs, and more in minutes. FTX, Shohei's in. Are you? Hello, everyone. Welcome back to Fitz on Fantasy. I'm Pat Fitzmorris. Find me on Twitter at Fitz underscore FF. Great to have you here with me again. And joining me now is Bo McBrayer. He is a contributor to Fantasy Pros. And in between media, he is on Team Riser Fall doing PGA DFS content. He hosts the solo dynasty show Hot Route with the King of Spice on Going for Two Live. He is the man behind Hot Box Batch Hot Sauce. Find him on Twitter at Bo underscore McBigTime. Bo, welcome to the show. Great to have you here. Thanks for having me on, Fitz. It's the it's a really exciting time to be to really collaborate in any way with you. But uh, it's it's really special to be on Fitz on Fantasy. That's I think it's one of my, it's one of the best, the preeminent favorite podcasts out there for football content, especially fantasy football, because you cover such a diverse uh, array of topics. And I, I I love the show, and I'm glad I'm on here as as a as a guest because it's it's this is like making it, you know, this is making oh. it. You are too kind, Bo. I appreciate that. Flattery will get you everywhere with me uh, for <laughs> sure. So yeah, and it's funny because I was just like editing your stuff for Fantasy Pros and you did like a bunch of stuff for our Fantasy Pros uh, Dynasty draft kit about startup draft strategies. And like these were just such well-written pieces and so thorough in your dissection of these strategies. And you gave us three different flavors to choose from the win now strategy, the hero running back strategy and the late round quarterback strategy. And you laid out like really compelling cases for all three of these approaches, but generally for yourself, when you're doing a startup dynasty draft, what sort of blueprint do you tend to adhere to? I, I tend to try and to avoid a blueprint because I don't want to be predictable I do a lot of drafts with industry experts and a lot of them follow my content and I follow theirs. So I do try to read the room in a way um, based on where I'm drafting from, what kind of trades I can make with certain people. Uh, If I'm adhering to a set strategy, I think I'm putting myself at a disadvantage because I'm I'm more of a getyourguide.com type drafter. Uh, where I I try to tier everything up where I can set myself up to get a bunch of the guys that I just love. And whether it means moving up or moving back or hoping to just kind of find my spot where I might just stand pat and not trade any picks up or back and just take guys that I like uh, based on where my tiers are and my rankings. Uh, that's that's kind of the the strategy I tend to have is just put myself in position to get as many of the guys I love on my team, um, whether they're any position. And, and if you stick to a set strategy and, you, and you're cemented in your ways, um, more often than not, you're going to get taken advantage of because these some of these p- dynasty players are just skilled at 
at the at the nuance of the game. And the draft is your first chance to kind of get a read of the situation. So I'm I'm trying to be the more the guy that does the reading instead of being read. Yeah, I like that idea to maintain flexibility. And I mean, I think that comes into play, especially with quarterbacks in super flex drafts. And I know most startup super flex drafts, there is a pretty voracious appetite for quarterbacks in those first couple of rounds. What are you generally like there as far as uh, your quarterback appetite? Like, are you... I don't know. Are you pretty desperate to get two in the first three rounds or are you willing to let it go a little bit and maybe pick up value at other positions at the expense of being super strong at quarterback? My appetite for quarterbacks, especially in super flex is I only want one of the top five guys. And after that, I will punt the position into oblivion because I think once, once the top five guys are gone, I'm pretty much saying that everybody left that's a draftable commodity in the dynasty league is about the same points per game value. So I will literally punt that position into oblivion and I will attack every other position except it until my other starting positions are full. I will completely ignore quarterbacks if I miss on the top five or if, like I say, if I get a top five pick in Superflex, I'm going to jump on the best guy available if I'm in that position. Um, sometimes I'll even trade up to get into that position so that I can punt my QB two down the down the block. Yeah, it's uh, like I'm with you, especially if you're drafting late and those like truly top echelon dynasty uh, quarterback assets are gone. Like I'm not going to force it at quarterback or at the one twelve and two oh one draft positions with. I don't know who would be a good example of forcing it like Trey Lance at that point or, or yeah, that's, yeah, that's, that, a, that's quite a reach at the end of the first early second. Yeah. Or, or even like, I mean, I, I just in a mock dynasty super flex startup, like I just took Trey Lance at one twelve, and I didn't, or not Trey Lance, uh, Dak Prescott at one twelve, and I didn't feel great about it. And like, and I certainly wasn't going to take two quarterbacks there. So I'm with you, man. Like if, if you're presented that opportunity late and you can get like Jamar Chase and Justin Jefferson, do it, man. Like you can you can hit on the quarterbacks in some other way. Well, and especially if you're if you're not fortunate enough for one of those top five guys to just kind of tumble to you late in the first, which does sometimes happen. You you do want to leave that avenue open. But let's say you're not fortunate and then you're left with that dilemma do i reach at quarterback or do i attack a, an elite asset at a wide receiver position um or even a running back like sometimes i see uh christian mccaffrey at the end of the first round in a startup and i'm not risk averse when it comes to running backs at all so i'm hopping all over that and i'm at the, i'm at the oak where i love elite tight ends because it's such a scarce position for for elite talent and so i will i'll be like okay None of these top five guys slipped, so let me let me go after and solidify an elite asset at a different position because those are what you have to have to win Dynasty League. Yeah, I'm curious. You mentioned top five, and like I've got a pretty clear cut top four, and then like plus two, and I'm curious who you would leave out of this top six. I've got Josh Allen, Patrick Mahomes, Justin Herbert, Joe Burrow, Kyler Murray, Lamar Jackson. 
I would I would kick Burrow out of there. I think Burrow and Dak are pretty much equivalent as far as value, and he doesn't have Konami code qualities to him. Um, he has, like, if I'm in a six-point passing touchdown league, he's in the top five, but most of these leagues are four-point passing touchdowns, so I'm I'm going with the top five. Like, of course, I don't have Mahomes in my top three for four-point passing touchdown because, again, same same thing. He's an elite passer, but I want those guys that are scoring six-point touchdowns more often than he is. So I'm looking at Lamar Jackson higher, Kyler Murray higher, of course, Josh Allen higher. He's number one across the board. Even Justin Herbert is more mobile than Patrick Mahomes. And I will attack Justin Herbert in that top five. I'm leaving the semi-mobile guys kind of down a, down a peg. Um, but outside of the top five, like your top five, I'm, I'm throwing in, or let's say I go Josh Allen, Patrick Mahomes, Justin Herbert, Lamar Jackson, and Kyler Murray. Those are the five, and then I, I kick Burrow down with Dak, and the rest of them are kind of in that same washed-out tier. Gotcha. So you are definitely, like, you've got a sort of Konami bar that has to be cleared to get into your top tier. So I, I can appreciate that. Um, so with your article on hero running backs, you provided a list of suitable heroes, Jonathan Taylor, of course, and then Javante Williams, DeAndre Swift, Christian McCaffrey, Dalvin Cook, and Najee Harris. Talk to me about the inclusion of Dalvin Cook over, say, Austin Eckler or Joe Mixon. Like, I'm personally with you on that, but it seems like a lot of people are just terrified by the injury history with Dalvin Cook and would not have him on that list. It's it's curious because I don't have Austin Eckler out of that group per se, other than because of his age and because the Chargers are due to go all in, and that will not include Eckler being a bell cow. I, I love Eckler's skill set. I love that he scored 21 points per game last year because he scored a way more touchdowns than we ever saw from him. Um, I do see that as, as a 26, 27-year-old running back who's more of a flex option. He's just an elite one. Joe Mixon is great, but his injury history is just as checkered as Dalvin Cook's. And here's the thing about Dalvin Cook's injury history. He tore his ACL in 2017, came back towards the end of 2018, was compromised, comes back 2019 with a depressed ADP and goes off in 14 games, elite asset. 2020, 14 games, elite asset. 2021, 13 games, he had the shoulder and the ankles. And the shoulder and the ankles, the shoulder one, he's been managing for two years now without much consequence. Like he's still putting up those huge performances with a torn labrum and ankle injuries. You tape him up and he looks the same. And plus I see his backup situation as a murky one. So they're putting everything on his shoulders. And as well as you can't overlook the Kevin O'Connell factor, the hire of Kevin O'Connell as offensive coordinator means that Dalvin Cook is primed to have a monster 2022 season. If Even if he plays 13-plus games, I'm going to want that production because he's an elite back as far as playing ability. So I'm looking at points per game more than anything, and Dalvin Cook is top four in that category for me. Yeah. Um, tell, talk to me about the O'Connell thing. What about his background has you especially excited about Cook's usage this year? It's the it's that whole run first kind of wing T modified personality that McVeigh's offense has. O'Connell's well versed in it, obviously. Look what they did last year. They won the damn Super Bowl. Um, it's 
it's something where they won the Super Bowl pretty much without their top running back being available. Cam Akers came back miraculously from the eight, from the Achilles, and he didn't look quite the same coming back, but it was awfully soon. I think if you put in a guy like Dalvin Cook in that kind of offense with their with their commodities around the, around him, uh, Justin Jefferson, Adam Thielen, the, a serviceable quarterback that's smart with the football, doesn't turn it over a bunch, a good offensive line. This team, the Vikings team, is only a couple pieces away on defense from being a contender, especially if their offense takes a step up by by putting athletes in space, unlike what they've been doing under under the previous regime. Yeah, I like that call. Uh, I don't like the call about the Vikings being good because I hate the Vikings, but I do <laughs> like the call about Dalvin Cook. Um, so is it true you were listening to Foo Fighters and maybe the song There Goes My Hero? while writing the Hero RB uh, article, as you asserted on Twitter? Yeah, the, the Twitter post was is kind of a, an homage to uh, Taylor Hawkins. I'm not a huge Foo Fighters fan, but I do appreciate the artistry that they put forth. I mean, obviously, David Grohl is one of the best of all time at pretty much everything he does. Uh, Taylor Hawkins, an amazing drummer. And for, for the timing of him passing away, the last week of March and then me writing this piece at the same time. Of course, everybody knows my hero by Foo Fighters. And I put it on basically in response to the news that Taylor Hawkins had passed. And I put it on just to, just to hear it one more time, you know, just to get that nostalgia juice flowing. And I I didn't even realize it. I was listening to my hero by Foo Fighters, just thinking about the music. And then I looked at my, at my, uh, my, my writing and I was like, well, I'm, I'm writing this right now and it's literally titled hero RB strategy. And I was like, okay, I can, I can work with this. So it it got the juices flowing for that, for that writing assignment. No doubt. Awesome. Very cool. Uh, Yeah. Taylor Hawkins was a great fucking drummer. Rest in peace. All right. So you recently wrote that you prefer Justin Jefferson to Jamar chase in dynasty since you're, still on the Vikings kick here, apparently. Um, (laughs) Why, why is that? Like, I'm kind of a Jamar chase guy. I I think that maybe part of it is that I do think like Burrow is a much better quarterback than Kirk cousins. And I don't like valuing wide receivers too much based on quarterback play, but I just think with what we saw from chase in his rookie year, like if that is almost like a baseline expectation, like I think there's even more meat on the bone and we could potentially see an even better season from him in year two. But at the same time, I I think like, you know, Justin Jefferson is like a metronome of production at this point, like two years into his career already. And I suppose we could be saying, I could be saying the same of him that, the best might be yet to come. So like what, how do you sort out those two guys? Yeah. Make no mistake. These are the top two dynasty wide receivers for me and they're in a tier by themselves. And my preference of Jefferson comes down to that metronome factor that you mentioned. It's, it's the fact that he is so steady at an elite level with a above average quarterback, instead of uh, one of the best passing young passers like Joe Burrow. Uh, Joe Burrow is obviously better than Kirk Cousins, but Justin Jefferson's a technician. And I I guess I just have a bias towards those technically perfect wide receivers. And on top of that, he runs a 4-4. He's he's bigger bodied 
Chase's prototype, that Odell Beckham prototype is exciting and it has huge spike weeks, but I'm I'm more I'm more averse to that as an elite asset at the top, just slightly. Like I'm saying, oh, I love I would love to have either one of these guys, but if I'm taking the pick, I'm saying it's 5248 in favor of Justin Jefferson because I can count on him to score me 22 points just about every week instead of going 12, 30, 14, 32, you know, it's just, it's just a preference thing. And I do think that Jamar Chase is due for touchdown regression in his, in his subsequent seasons, because he scored touchdowns on plays that nobody does last year. Like we're talking, some of his touchdowns were just straight go balls where inexplicably the defense had, had press man coverage with, with a cover zero. And that's just stupid. If you have a guy like Jamar Chase on the outside ISOed against a, a second year corner with no clue what he's doing, that you're just asking to be scored upon. Uh, I think Jefferson could do that to pretty much any DB out there because he's got such a diverse route tree. Jamar Chase is a vertical wide receiver who's also great after the catch, but he's not the technician that Justin Jefferson is. And I guess that's just my bias. Yeah, that's fair. I could I could buy that. And I agree that those two are a tier unto themselves, which makes it all that much more remarkable. They were in Baton Rouge together playing at LSU. What a disgusting collection of talent at the wide receiver position. I can't even believe that. Um, not surprising that that was maybe one of the best college offenses we've ever seen with Burrow as the trigger man. Yeah. So um, now you also have mentioned that you like Deontay Johnson more than T Higgins. Why is that? That kind of goes back to the same. I mean, I didn't mention it with chase, but another knock on chase, if it is one is that his, his contemporary on his team is also a young, super talented wide receiver. And so there is some cannibalism in Cincinnati, whether we like it or not. Um, Even Tyler Boyd cannibalizes the value of Jamar chase on occasion, because with three talented wide receivers like that is you're going to have weeks where chase isn't the alpha. He's he might be the secondary or tertiary option in their game plan on a week to week basis with an aging Adam Thielen, who's great by the way, as dependable as they come, Justin Jefferson has the age in his advantage. He has the ability in his advantage and he's also He's pretty much the alpha every single week going forward in Dynasty for me because I don't see Thielen lasting much more than a couple more years as at, at his current value. So I see Jefferson continuing to get better and more valuable, while Chase is still going to have to contend with T. Higgins for at least a couple more years as a cannibalizing factor. Um, Deontay Johnson is the alpha, the omega, the everything for Pittsburgh's offense in the passing game. And whether you like it or not, he's going to get a ton of target volume because targets are earned. Yeah. So you're not at all worried about chase Claypool eventually getting his act together and being a, a threat to the target load of Deontay Johnson. Short answer is no. <laughs> uh, I, I like Claypool. I love his athleticism, but he's kind of a head case. So you're, you're not going to get consistent results from a receiver like that, no matter how talented they are, uh, especially when their new quarterback, at least for this year, I expect to be Mitchell Trubisky who can support an alpha receiver, but not much else. So I do expect Deontay to continue to seize that, that volume. 
And again, I have these guys neck and neck. I think I have them wide receiver seven and wide receiver eight in my dynasty rankings. So uh, another very close kind of coin flip decision where I just kind of prefer Deontay a tiny bit more than T. Yeah, that's fair. And I'm glad you still have T in your top 10. Like I, I just, even with the target competition with Chase and Higgins, like I just can't pull Higgins out of the top 10. I just think he's too good. So I don't know where you stand on this one, but this has come up a lot, especially uh, in-house at Fantasy Pros. And I, like, I've been a Jerry Judy advocate because I think he's such a good route runner and so good after the catch. But I've seen some people make compelling cases, and I'm thinking particularly of Andrew Erickson and Derek Brown at Fantasy Pros, um, for ranking Cortland Sutton ahead of Judy in both Redraft and Dynasty. Which do you prefer? Well, I was very, very far over to the Jerry Judy side until they traded for Russell Wilson. That changes everything because Russell Wilson happens to toss one of the prettiest deep balls in the game. And that's kind of what Cortland Sutton's game is. He's that Kenny Galladay type. He's tall, he's athletic, and he just dominates 50-50 opportunities where it's a 70-30 ball. And you can't ignore that upgrade for Cortland Sutton. It's also an upgrade for Jerry Judy, don't get me wrong, but it's a bigger upgrade for Jerry for Cortland Sutton in this offense. It's it's still going to be Jerry Judy for me, but it's a lot closer than it used to be. If it was Drew Locke running that offense, this is a Jerry Judy huge upgrade. And and it's also an upgrade for for KJ Hamler coming off the IR. This is a huge huge move for the Broncos who were literally a quarterback away from from being something last year. And I love Jerry Judy's game set. I think he's so undervalued as an elite wide receiving talent that we've never been able to realize through injury and completely inept quarterback play. Yeah. um, And and like, I think I'm going to be off maybe both of these guys in redraft next year, because I think they're probably both going to be priced pretty yeah, lofty. <laughs> yeah, it's going to be an expensive price tag on both guys. And like Tim Patrick's still around. You mentioned KJ Hamler, like Albert O, who everyone seems to like. So like, I don't think Russell Wilson's going to have a 5,000-yard season. So uh, the law of conservation of targets suggests that someone is going to be probably left out in the cold here and, and not live up to their draft value, maybe multiple guys in that group. So, And their new coach is notorious for being part of an offense that spreads the wealth. Um, yeah. And, and I'm, and I'm not saying that in a negative connotation for Russell Wilson and his weapons, but that's kind of just a tiny feather in Jerry Judy's cap because he's kind of a, a more athletic clone of Devonte Adams in a way where he reminds me of a young Devontae Adams. And that's kind of the that's kind of the the prototype for if they're going to kind of keep the same trend alive from Green Bay is the is the having the alpha X receiver that they move around the formation to put in different matchup advantages. If that turns into Jerry Judy, we all hope it does. Um, then we're talking a, a huge ceiling for Jerry Judy where he might be worth that redraft price. Yeah. And it's like, I buy your point about Russell Wilson, maybe being more Sutton centric than Judy centric. Like that's a distinct possibility, but like, I can't get over the the fact that last year while Judy was hurt after getting that high ankle sprain in week one, 
that Sutton became this target monster and just like racking up these huge air yards numbers every week, these, uh, you know, big target numbers, just looking like a pure alpha, like, you know, he had finally arrived and then Judy came back and Sutton just completely disappeared from the offense. Yeah. I wonder why. Yeah. And it's not like Judy totally went off, but like he was out targeting Sutton and like, obviously different quarterback situation there's going to be a lot more love to go around with Russell Wilson than with Teddy Bridgewater. But like, I just can't get over how Sutton the production just dried up so fast. So um, for dynasty bow, Brees Hall or Antonio Gibson, who would you rather have? See, this is a tricky one too. You're, you're putting me in a lot of dilemmas here, which I kind of <laughs> like because it lets me, it lets me kind of break it down for my own process going forward. Um, until recently I had Gibson one spot ab- above Brees Hall, but the more I break it down and the, the main contr- contribution to me moving Brees Hall a- ahead of Antonio Gibson is the turn, the, the heel turn that we saw from JD McKissick, um, which really ticked off the brass in Buffalo. That's just politics. That's the way the business runs is sometimes the agent will go above and beyond to put his player in a better situation. And so JD McKissick still being in Washington really hurts Antonio Gibson's peak. Like we want to see Antonio Gibson cook. We want to see the talent that he has in more volume. And we saw that when McKissick was hurt last year, Antonio Gibson was elite. He was incredible. We're talking of one of these guys you got to have on your team. And he made me a lot of money in DFS last year in those games where McKissick was just kind of out of it. But Brees Hall is going to step into a situation where he's going to be the Antonio Gibson. And I just think he's a better athlete. I, Antonio Gibson came in as a raw running back talent and he's developed somewhat, but I think Brees Hall's already at that level. I think he comes in as an equivalent talent to Antonio Gibson is now after three years as a pro. And that tells me that he's going to keep getting better and he's going to turn into an asset that completely puts him in a tier above Gibson in a couple of years. Yeah, there was no offseason transaction so far that just put me in a more sullen mood than uh, McKissick going back to Washington. Cause I just like was so ready for the unshackling of Antonio Gibson and the chance are. for this guy. <laughs> yeah, man, the former college receiver, my God, let this guy play on passing downs, please. Um, so that bummed a lot of people out. Let me ask you this though. Like how would the calculus change for you if, and well, I'll say that my colleague Andrew Erickson thinks the Buffalo Bills are going to draft Brees Hall, and everyone would love that move, obviously, for Brees Hall. It's a great landing spot for him, even with you know Devin Singletary there and their Devin Singletary truthers. But, man, I think it would just be wheels up for Brees Hall. But two of the teams that really have the least at running back right now, you know, even with uh, roll eyes here, the Marlon Mack edition for the Houston Texans (laughs) would be the Atlanta Falcons and the Houston Texans, just two of the most putrid offenses in the NFL. So like, it wouldn't be a shocker at all if either of those teams wound up with Brees Hall. Would Brees Hall still be ahead of Gibson for you then? 
Oh, for sure. What people seem to forget is that Brees Hall was the best running back in college football all three years he was in college football. There was there was no debate that he was next. When he was draft eligible, he was going to be the top running back prospect. And there was a, there was a clamoring of people that questioned his athleticism going into the combine. Well, I think he answered those questions with authority. And when you look at the tape, he doesn't have any weaknesses. And you can always pick apart a guy's tape coming into the league and find things he's not great at. And I don't I don't even think Brees Hall has any elite traits. He just doesn't have any weaknesses either. So we're looking at a, a prospect that's coming in very much like Saquon Barkley did. That's my comp for him is is maybe just a little bit less exciting Saquon Barkley. And we, we have this recency bias built in against Brees Hall because it's that elite fatigue. Like he's been good for so long that we're like, oh, there's got to be somebody else here that's better. And in reality, there isn't. And so I think wherever Brees Hall goes, he's not like this is a position that's extremely landing spot dependent when it comes to dynasty value. And he's the one guy I can look to that it doesn't even matter where he goes. I think he might even go to Seattle because I don't know that Chris Carson's going to be uh, ready to go. Like, I think he might be pup listed, followed by a, a, a medical a medical release. And then all you're looking at is uh, the, the peak performance of Rashad Penny and then Travis Homer and Brees Hall. I think uh, Brees Hall's going to carve himself a niche there if he's drafted in Seattle. Yeah, I like I can see it. Like, on one hand, going to a bad offense that might cap your touchdown potential early in your career having a bad quarterback on your team is going to short circuit some, not that, you know, Davis Mills and Marcus Mariota are complete zeros, but certainly they're lower rung starting quarterbacks. Uh, it's going to short circuit some drives, maybe limit your total touch potential. But I guess, you know, if he winds up in Atlanta or Houston or maybe even Seattle, where I do think, you know, Brees Hall could probably shove aside Rashad Penny. Um, you know, at least you know he's probably going to be the guy. But think about the the snap share percentage on those teams would be so much higher than if Huge. he went to a contender. If he went right. to a contender, he's going to be in a committee. And it's not a bad thing. Committees do preserve the the lifespan of these running backs' value. Uh, they keep veterans alive longer. Uh, but it's it's also like, okay, it's kind of a, it's, it's a catch-22 for a rookie running back. You're either going to be in a bad situation getting a ton of touches like James Robinson a couple of years ago, or you're going to be in a great situation sharing the load. And so it's I think that Brees Hall in either scenario is going to be just as steady as they come as, as long as he stays healthy. And that's kind of the catalyst for every running back ever picked is if they stay healthy, how good are they? Get on Team Shaq with WinBet. We're playing parlays, boosting odds, and laying the wildest prop bets. Don't miss another game. Download the WinBet sports betting app today. Sign up today and win $200 in free bets when you place a $10 first-time wager on a straight better parlay. Offer subject to change, terms and conditions at winbet.com. Must be 21 or older and present in the state where playthrough WinBet is available. If you or someone you know has a gambling problem, call 1-800-522-4700. There aren't many faces people are excited to see first thing in the morning before they've even had their coffee. But the McDonald's drive through workers who take your order on the way to work have almost all of those faces. 
Because nothing brings more joy in the morning than a 99 cents any size iced coffee. Pair it with a glazed full apart donut for a truly great morning. Prices and participation may vary. Cannot be combined with any other offer. Only available until 11 a.m. There was a Twitter conversation about Bruce Willis and his condition the other day. And you mentioned that you work with aphasia patients every day. Uh, what do you do, Ball, for your day job? I am a hearing care provider. So I provide uh, what's called auditory rehabilitation. I dispense hearing aids. I do hearing tests. Um, the most, the vast majority of my clients are senior citizens. Uh, aphasia is a form of dementia. And hearing loss is the or untreated hearing loss is the number one modifiable risk factor for cognitive decline, such as dementia, Alzheimer's, and and whatnot. So what, like, to people who don't know what that is, could you explain aphasia to them? So basically, if you have a longstanding hearing loss, a lot of times the denial comes into play here where people feel like they hear just fine. In reality, their brain is being deprived of information and it goes into a, a, an auditory decline, which leads to social withdrawal, which leads to uh, cognitive decline signals, which could lead to dementia, Alzheimer's and other forms of cognitive decline and affect their their longevity of life and their cognitive strength and health. And that's that's what I deal with every day is is trying to counsel people how important it is to have their best hearing because it's a direct it's directly related to how long they stick around in a sharp manner. Now in addition to that and uh, your fantasy contributions, uh, I gotta ask about the hot sauce. Tell me about hot box batch because I've heard people swear by your hot sauce. So yeah, it was, it was one of those uh, lockdown inventions. It was January 2020, and I was bored in the kitchen. I couldn't sleep, so I went and I tried to recreate a taco sauce, of all things, and I added too much vinegar. It turned into a beautifully delicious hot sauce, and I just had way too much of it, so I sold I sold some jars on Instagram, and then I, I, I was just getting into fantasy football Twitter at that time, and sold off some uh, sold off some bottles of hot sauce over Twitter DMs. Then it got out of hand, and so I created a website so I could sell it and keep track of the orders easier. Um, and it's turned into uh, Big Time Flavor Co., which is the Hot Box Gourmet Hot Sauce, as well as four unique seasoning blends. And so um, I've, I've coined Big Time Flavor Co., the official punch in the mouth of fantasy football, and of course, the the flagship product is the hot box gourmet hot sauce, which is uh, it's just a it's a hot sauce that's delicious. It's intense. It it gives it gives you the amplification that a lot of dishes need. A lot of people are out there eating bland food, and it's unacceptable. It is unacceptable. Now, I don't want you to give away any trade secrets, but what can you tell me about like the peppers you use for this? Do you grow them yourself? Peppers, yeah, I can tell you the peppers. Um, I have a chili supplier out of New Mexico that I use that just super high quality chili peppers. I use uh, habanero peppers for the fruity taste, and they're moderately hot. Uh, If you're if you're uh, capsaicin averse, then habaneros are really spicy. But for people like me who eat spicy foods every day, they're kind of moderate hot but they're really delicious they're really fruity flavorful peppers um and then i use chili de arbol which is a dried 
chili pepper. Um, and they're really hot. They're they're the they're one of the hotter peppers that people put into salsas and hot sauces out there, and they provide a nice deep red color. That's that's kind of the signature signature of hot box batches. The color is a deep red orange, and it's really bright and vibrant, and it it grabs your attention. And then when you put it on your food, it looks good. It's appetizing to see. Of course, you you can smell it, and of course, it makes everything taste better around it. So you've cooking has long been a hobby for you. Oh yeah, as 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 long as I can remember seeing over the countertop. What in particular do you enjoy cooking? Like what kind of cooking? I grew up pretty much raised by my grandparents. My grandpa was a chef in the Air Force, and he was from the South. He's from Arkansas, and he cooked soul food, like really good Southern comfort. Uh, that's what I learned first. And then, of course, I grew up in a town that was predominantly Latino, so I learned a lot of Mexican-American dishes. And so I went in, and I, I started with that, but then as I started cooking a lot more, I started challenging myself to learn how to cook pretty much everything. And so I cook pretty a wide array of different things, um, but mostly what I stick to are the ones that are just completely decadent, really over-the-top flavor. Um, I want... I want big time flavors and that's kind of where the name of the, of the whole thing came from. Oh, that's awesome, man. No, even though you're in California, no California cuisine for you. Uh, you know, we're not doing Danish salads. It doesn't sound like. Yeah. Unless it's a taco salad, I'm probably going to pass. <laughs> um, but yeah, it's, it, it's California food is it's, it's worldly. Like there, you can say, Oh yeah, it's a, it's a nice joke to get the light, uh, the, the really ritzy looking uh, dishes that you have to stop by Dairy Queen on the way home because you're still hungry. But in reality, California is hosting pretty much every fine cuisine in the world. Like we, you, I can go down the street and get anything from around the world in perfect quality anytime I want. I can get Chinese food that's out of this world and get the best Mexican food in the world in California. And it's, it's just, it's great because that's kind of the cost of doing business around here is it's expensive to live here, but it's also, um, there's so much at your fingertips that you can't get anywhere else. Yeah. I was going to like, I, as health minded as people are in California, like I'm always bowled over that they have like the best sampling of burger places out there. Oh yeah. Like so many burger places you can't get in the Midwest. And like, you know, I'll go out They're to California here. and it's They're like, yeah, here. that's, that's all I want to do. Go to fast food burger places and, you know, <laughs> and, and the jack whole, in the box yeah. and in and out. And for every health conscious person that you see on TV, that's a Californian, there's twice as many that are just like us that are just, I want something greasy. <laughs> I want to feel bad about it afterwards. Um, there's, I mean, of course the, the, the 420 friendly community is based in California. So yes, the, the, yes. the naughty things you get after midnight, they're all here, and that's really what people are all about in California. Yeah, it's not all it's not all the uh, you know rich and beautiful and thin people uh, keeping all those in and outs and jacks jack in the boxes uh, no. going. And, yeah, to be honest, I've always said this: the the scarier the streets, the better the eats. So I, we don't even go to those <laughs> neighborhoods that are all ritzy and gated because they don't have anything good there. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> no, I know you're also into. PGA and DFS, Bo, it's Masters Week. Who are yeah. some of the guys you like at Augusta this week? So I'm 
I'm a big leverage guy. When it comes to DFS in general, I'm I'm all about finding guys that I feel are their their analytics lineup that that they're going to have a high likelihood of success, but nobody else is on them. And so I'm looking at the the early ownership projections, and I'm not seeing Jordan Spieth anywhere, and he's not playing. He's not he's not scoring too well lately, even though he was a favorite last week in Texas. And he, he was okay. He didn't he didn't do terribly, but he also wasn't at the top of the leaderboard. But the when I watch him play, I'm thinking this guy is right on the verge of just going nuclear and winning the damn Masters again because he's that good. He's he's striking the ball better than he ever has. He's all still got the world class short game that's absolutely required to win the Masters. So give me Jordan Spieth as a as a top tier guy that's not really getting a lot of fanfare. Yeah, experience matters at Augusta. You have to know like where you can and can't hit the ball. And that's why guys like Bernard Longer and Fred Couples like would be up there on the leaderboard like when they were into their 50s cuz those guys could still play the course and that's why that's why like they're guys in in just great form now like Scotty Scheffler who's won what three of his last five tournaments but yeah, he's, he's pretty damn just, good. <laughs> yeah, he's he's great and like I think he might have the game to conquer Augusta eventually but he just hasn't had the experience and so like I'm fading a guy like that and absolutely on top of guys like Spieth and Dustin Johnson who aren't in great form at the moment but because it only takes one in, shot to click them back into that form. Yeah, exactly. And their history, like both of them just have such a track record of success at Augusta. And it just seems kind of silly that I think what DJ is like 16 to one to win and, and Spieth is 18 to one. Like I jumped on both of those guys yesterday and um, just like great value with those dudes. So, Oh yeah, I right, totally turn- agree. Another one that's kind of an under the radar guy that he's up there in the world-class conversation is Abraham answer. Um, he withdrew f- from, from the tournament in Texas, but I think that was more of just like, he decided, Hey, I, I need to get ready for Augusta. And I think Abraham answer has got the game and the recent form to, to really take, take advantage of the way Augusta fits. His game is really like a glove. So if I wouldn't be surprised at all, if Abraham answer came in there and, and lit up the scoreboard. It would be pretty cool to have on the heels of Hideki Matsuyama being the first Japanese Masters champion for Answer to come in and be Mexico's first Masters champion. All right, turning back to football, Bo, I have seen you mention that you think Malik Willis is the runaway quarterback one in this class. I just, I guess I don't know what that means exactly in a pretty weak QB class overall. So what kind of career do you expect Willis to have? And runaway was more of, I was referring to the way that I favored him. He was my quarterback two up until a few weeks ago. And my, my quarterback one was Sam Howell, but the way Malik Willis backed his tape up with an incredible pro day and an incredible interview, the, his everything I've heard about his interviews, his press conferences in Indianapolis was that this guy is an absolute born leader and his personality is exactly what these NFL teams want. And on top of that, he's got a crazy high ceiling. And if you're if you're a dynasty fantasy football player, that's the only thing you should be looking at is how good can this guy be? And 
I'm not saying you should really go out there and, and plug him in as your 101 in every format because there's a lot of great players at the top of this draft class. But Malik Willis, compared to the other quarterbacks in this class, has by far the most upside. And even though he has some traits that aren't as desirable, the traits that are really make it for me. If you were picking 101 in a super flex rookie draft and didn't necessarily have a screaming need at either running back or quarterback, would you be taking Willis or Brees Hall? Brees Hall, 100 times out of 100. Same, same. Uh, are you kind of a Matt Corral guy too? Actually, no. I, I have Matt Corral at quarterback six. I'm one of the lowest uh, oh, analysts okay. on Matt Corral of, of anybody that I've seen. Is Usually he's quarterback two or three. I have him down at six. I don't think he reads defense as well. I don't think he has uh, any history or experience with pre-snap autonomy and and uh, and making adjustments, which is a huge trait to carry over from the college to the pro ranks. That's also why I'm kind of down on Desmond Ritter, uh, because within the confines of a professional offense, you have to be that your your decisions have to be innate. You have to already know what you're going to do and put it into action. And I don't think either one of those guys um, is quite as versed as some of these other guys that like, like Carson strong out of Nevada, complete autonomy of the, of the quarterback position at the line of scrimmage. He was basically the offensive coordinator last year in Nevada, and he played on one leg and looked amazing. So uh, a lot of people have him down where I have Matt Corral and I have them kind of flipped because I love Carson strong and Matt Corral is just kind of meh for me. Yeah, Matt Waldman, I know, is is really high on Carson Strong, too. And um, And I'm a huge Matt Waldman fan, so shout out Matt Waldman. (laughs) What is it about Howell you like, just that he's sort of like one of the few guys in this quarterback group who produced at an early age? Is is that a big part of it for you? It is. I mean, really, what cost him his draft capital recently has just been out of his control his offensive line fell apart he lost all of his weapons and he still didn't look bad he put the team on his back and had to change the way he played completely to win games and that's kind of that that competitive spirit i like to see that he and ritter and uh and malik willis have and corral has that too but howell's arm strength his arm talent the way he makes boundary throws with ease Um, That's something that directly translates Um, just touch and pace and anticipation. Those are things you can't teach. And Sam Howell has that in spades and he's pretty mobile. He's not a true NFL dual threat. He's not a Konami type quarterback, but he's very mobile. He's very savvy with the football. Um, The only down the detractor for Sam Howell is his decision-making once things break down and his accuracy is not consistent on short intermediate throws, but I feel, I believe those are things that he can be coached into being at least adequate. But when I watch his highlights, like I watch his lowlights too, but his highlights remind me so much of Matthew Stafford that it's scary. Hmm. Interesting. Yeah. I, well, I'm going to have to take another look and see if I can. Yeah, see his lowlights are Danny Dimes, but his highlights are Sam <laughs> exactly. or, or Matt Stafford. So we, it's it's a he's got a lot. He has a high variance of of what he's capable of. But again, I'm looking at ceiling. If I'm a dynasty manager, I'm looking at what is he capable of of becoming, and because you can always back out of. I'm not getting. I'm not seeing uh, Howell going in the in the first round of rookie drafts. He's kind of an early second kind of guy. And in Superflex, he's kind of at the back end of the first. So I'm getting good value for a guy who I have valued higher 
but it's not the end of the world if he doesn't pan out because I'm not really spending a ton of capital to get him. Now talk to me about David Bell. Like I know you took him in the first round of a rookie mock you recently did with a bunch of other analysts. And I like his game a lot too. And there were games he had in his college career. Like if you saw the Purdue game where they knocked off previously unbeaten Iowa last year and you saw what David Bell did in that game, like you're going to have a hard time fading that dude. But are you worried that he is just like he is clocked so slow that his speed is almost disqualifying at an NFL level? Not at all. That's not even close. That's like what he ran as a four, six, five. Let's, let's, let's compare him to other elite wide receivers. Let's look at the top two wide receivers in fantasy last year. Cooper cup, six foot two, two Oh four ran a four, six, two 31 inch vertical compared to bell's 33 inch vertical. Uh, Cooper cup put up, a god awful amount of of fantasy points last year as a unathletic, quick versus fast wide receiver. Devonte Adams is wide receiver two last year six one two twelve four five six forty. That's not that big of a difference. He had a crazy high vertical leap. He's a better athlete than Bell, but Bell exactly the same height, exactly the same weight as Devonte Adams. Ran the four six five, had the thirty three inch vert, and elite production. We're talking about elite production in a Big Ten conference that has good defense. It has good corners. That that Iowa defense that he eviscerated last year was in the top five of all of all defenses in the in the Power Five until that game. And David Bell, with his very slow, unathletic self, was still stacking those corners on a regular basis and making them look silly. So I don't think a 40 time really comes into play here if the guy's still stacking uh, corners up and and getting deep on them and then making plays after the catch. He's he looks just fine on the field. It's like just like Traylon Burks. He ran a four five five. So what? It, he, you don't see anybody catching him from behind on the field. You see some people catching David Bell from behind, but he's already gained 40 yards on the play. Yeah, good point. I'm going to uh, maybe have to set aside some of my fears about the yeah, slow 40 and times. Here's the, here's the other one. Jerry Rice, same exact prototype, yes. ran even slower. And he was playing football until 2006. He was the greatest of all time. He had thousands of receiving yards after age 40. This, this kind of receiver plays in the NFL. We're talking about a different prototype. He's not your burner guy that you that you expect humongous plays out of, but he's going to be open all the time. He's going to move the chains. He's going to be getting tons and tons of targets in pretty much any kind of offense. I, I see David Bell as the most pro-ready wide receiver in this class. Oh, wow, man. I like uh, You make a convincing case, Bo. I'm going to have to uh, drop my, my stopwatch obsession. <laughs> yeah, it doesn't matter. <laughs> Tell me why you think Amon Ra St. Brown is maybe a little bit overhyped. I, I like the guy. It's just he's got so much he's got so much helium right now because of what he did at the end of the season. It was great. I had plenty of times where he made me money. And I, I don't I don't hate Amon Ra St. Brown, but where he's going in drafts right now is ridiculous because all that work he did, all that amazing accomplishments as a receiver in a Detroit offense that kind of stinks. He was the alpha for a good six straight weeks at the end of the season, but that was no DeAndre Swift and that was no TJ Hawkinson and really no other pro ready or pro level wide receivers around him to speak of. So if he didn't do that last year, we'd have humongous red flags all around Amon Ross St. Brown, but he did what was expected of him. And it was nice because 
people were were taking a guy who was drafted in the fourth round and and probably in the second or third round of a rookie draft and he put he made them money he he was explosive last year but all of those things go away when the new season starts and I don't see him as an alpha receiver. I don't see him much more as anything more than a, a really adequate, good slot receiver. He's Jamison Crowder, and that's that's okay. He has a place on a team, but not as a pick who's going in the fifth round of a startup. He ended the season with six straight games of double-digit targets. And, great. You know, like, great production on those targets. Helped a lot of people win money in fantasy, as you mentioned, and people are going to remember that fondly, and they are going to be falling all over themselves to get Amon Ross St. Brown back on their team. But yeah, it's just a simple fact that he did that without Swift, without Hawkinson. They've added DJ Chark. Uh, the, you the know law. they're going to draft a wide receiver too, and that's and they are going to draft someone. They've got Quintez Cephas coming back, who you know <laughs> is probably going to get a roster spot. So the law of conservation of targets, you cannot uh, violate that law. Don't violate the law, guys. <laughs> you and here we are back to the Vikings again, Bo. I have to ask you about this though. I saw you write on Twitter that, uh, or I don't know if this was in an article or if it was something you said on Twitter that you expect. Alexander Madison to be usurped by Kenny Wongwu, and I'm not sure if I'm pronouncing that right. I always butcher that name. In 2022, and I am a fan of Wongwu, uh, so I love that tape. I mean that or that take. That dude always just looks like he has been fired out of a cannon whenever he has the ball in his hands. Because he is. Um, yeah. So <laughs> he really tell, is. tell me more about that. Is that just like seeing is believing, and like how can I keep putting? bats down on Madison when I see what this guy is capable of? Well, Alexander Madison until recently had done nothing with any of the opportunities he's been presented. And more of his, it was more of how good, how good the offense was around him when Dalvin cook was out where you saw Madison pretty much do nothing with handoffs in running plays. And he made all of his PPR hay with screen passes where he had a, a flurry of blockers in front of him. And he, of course, anybody's going to look good in that situation. It's the same, the same paradox we saw with, uh, with miles Gaskin last year. It was, it was like, okay, you hand them the ball. He's going nowhere. If you throw him a swing pass and nobody's covering him and he scores, everybody loves him. And I just don't think Alexander Madison's a good running back. And I think Kane Wongwu is, uh, at least so explosive with the ball in his hands that they're going to look at the two assets they have, and they're going to go with the guy who's more exciting and a couple of years younger. If Dalvin cook is off the field, because neither one of these guys is worth anything. If Dalvin cook is healthy. Very true. All right. Last one, Bo. I, I know that you like Marquez Callaway a lot. Um, and it, you, in fact, you wrote, I love Marquez Callaway's silent ascent to stardom and can't get enough of the 24-year-old late in startups. So uh, talk to me about that. I mean, look what he has around him. This is a Saints offense that has Jameis Winston coming back, who throws a great deep ball. I mean, this is, this is an offense that's going to have some verticality to it with Marquez Callaway. Marquez Callaway is a vertical receiver. He's a big play receiver. He makes humongous plays and he's getting more and more consistent. He's still young. He's a big physical fast guy. And 
Michael Thomas coming back and taking over those intermediate and short routes is going to be huge for a guy like Callaway who can stretch and put stress on the back end of the secondary because that's not Thomas's game. And you have a guy who loves to push the ball down the field like Jameis Winston. You're going to you're going to see big plays and big plays are going to most likely come from Marquez Callaway because that's his role. His role is to be the field stretcher. And another thing, just like kind of with Alexander Madison is Traquan Smith has been giving so many opportunities over the years to be that guy. And it was Callaway who pretty much just rode in on a white steed and said, Nope, I'm better. I'm going to, I'm going to torch these defenses. Jameis loves me. We're making big plays. And that was all without Michael Thomas. Just imagine if you have an elite route runner underneath taking away all that safety help. Oh my gosh. Yeah. And, and man, you said it like Winston does love to show off that arm and throw it on field. And Marquez Callaway is like the primary deep guy for them. So I'm totally with you on that one. Uh, ladies and gentlemen, that's Bo McBrayer. Find him on Twitter at Bo underscore McBigTime. Bo, before I let you run, can you remind everyone where they can find you in your content and where they can find Hot Box Batch Hot Sauce? So you can find my content on Fantasy Pros. I'm writing up a lot of Dynasty stuff now. It's player profile season, so we're, we're breaking down rookies and veterans alike to get you ready for your startup drafts, for your rookie drafts. Um, fantasy pros is your one-stop shop and that's that's really for the football stuff i'm all in with fantasy pros and then for my pga dfs writing it's on teamriserfall.com and we're we're just the best dfs company out there we we make people money on every sport it doesn't matter if it's golf football baseball nba or even esports you can you can win dfs money by being a subscriber of team riser fall make sure you use the promo code bow bo uh, that's that'll get you ten dollars off and then of course you can find hot box gourmet hot sauce along with four unique spice blends at bigtimeflavor.co awesome bo this was a lot of fun looking forward to talking again soon and uh, looking forward to sampling your hot sauce thank you so much for joining me thanks fitz and that's it for the show. My thanks once again to our guest this week, Bo McBrayer. Find him on Twitter at Bo underscore McBigTime. The producer fits on fantasy is the great Colm Kelly. Find him on Twitter at Overtime Ireland. Music for fits on fantasy is provided by International Jet Set. And as always, my sincere thanks to all of you for listening to and supporting the show. Please come back again next week when I'll be joined by another great guest. Until then, so long, everyone. I got a headache, I'll give it be now What are we choosing? It's so confusing I got a headache This season on American Prodigies Black Girls in Gymnastics You'll hear about trailblazers like Diane Durham Learn what you don't know you don't know about Dominique Dawes Meet superstars like Olympic silver medalist Jordan Childs and more Hear how Black gymnasts have and continue to transform their sport. You can binge all the episodes of American Prodigies now, wherever you get your podcasts.